Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. What if we found our identity only in being a child of God? We find our identity in so many things and desire to be so many things and at the, at the core of who we are, we're children of the King. And I just wonder if, if, if we built our lives on that foundation, what it would look like. Let's pray together. Father, we just praise your name for the opportunity to sing and to praise and to worship you this morning. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords and we're children, Lord, that fall at your throne, seek you want your direction and guidance in our life, Father. Just lead us. Just open our eyes, Father, to your power and majesty, to your grace and glory, to your justice in our lives. And help us to find identity in you alone, in Christ alone. Not in our jobs or our ability at sports or the grades we make or all the ways in which we identify ourselves, Lord. Help us to find identity in you regardless of of what may happen around us in the world, Father, we are children of the King. Help us to understand and live according to that truth, Father. Thank you for the opportunity again to open your word. Speak clearly to us. May may the Holy Spirit invade our hearts and our minds and our lives right now, Father. I just pray upon this congregation right now the power of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Open our eyes to new truths this morning. May we be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This is the second week of our study through the book of Acts, a sermon series we've entitled From Ordinary to Extraordinary. Uh, from ordinary to ordinary on this side, for those of you, there's no I. There is an I, I guess it's, be, it's behind the, yeah, okay, that's alright. From ordinary to extraordinary. Now y'all are looking at that, I'm sorry, focus back. The other side works, that's right, ordinary. We've called it that because Acts has got this incredible story of God doing great things through just ordinary people. Just time and time again we see that God kind of takes the ordinary, mundane person, the, the guy or the lady that we probably would never choose, and through the power of the Spirit, God does extraordinary things through that person. We, we see the, the apostles, the 12 apostles, 12 people we probably wouldn't have chosen, fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, kind of nobodies, nobody was calling them to do anything important until the Lord called them through the power of the Spirit and Him working in their lives, they did extraordinary extraordinary things. The early church, we're, we're going to see this early church, right? It's, it's, it's kind of uh, at the very beginning stages in Acts chapter 1 and kind of floundering at times. Clearly, it's not really what we think it ought to be yet, but we're going to see this, this group of people, a small group of people, we'll see this one, just an ordinary group of people through the power of the Spirit do extraordinary things. And, and so, so the question as we kind of walk through this study together over the next several months is what is God going to do in our lives, in our ordinary lives that's going to be extraordinary? Because most of us don't wake up thinking we're going to do extraordinary things, right? We just kind of get up and get dressed, brush our teeth, go to work, do our thing, come home, eat, spend some time with the family, go to bed. That's our life. 
And a lot of times it's just ordinary and mundane. And we don't oftentimes think that the Lord's going to do some extraordinary things to us. But I, but I hope He just begins to open our eyes through this study and through this book to, to begin to see the, the, the possibilities and the power that we might have through the Spirit to do some, some pretty extraordinary things. We, we spent some time last week working through the first eight verses and we really kind of camped out on Acts 1-8. It's, it's the call to go to Jerusalem and Judea Samaria and, and to the other most parts of the earth and, and really kind of the plan of the book of Acts and it's going to kind of go out from there and, and so this morning we're kind of building on this truth of the Spirit and what Christ said the Spirit was going to do, the power of the Spirit and the plan of the Spirit in Acts 1-8. We're, we're building upon that and we're going to pick up now this morning in Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 9. So we have it on the screens for you I think. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word right where you're sitting. Acts chapter 1, beginning this morning in verse 9. Now this is the Lord Jesus is still with them. And when He, this is Jesus, had said these things. right? So He just gave them Acts 1.8. It's foundational. It's kind of the thesis statement for the rest of the book of Acts. Everything is going to come from that point. Kind of concentric circles. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. After He said these things... As they were looking on, right? So they're looking at Jesus. They've been talking to Jesus. He was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Verse 10. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. So these guys just kind of appear. And said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now let's stop there for a second. I want to give you what I think is kind of the, the main truth really of this particular passage. But I think it plays out through the rest of this chapter. And I, I think it's something we need to consider in our lives. And I'm going to give it to you then back up and kind of explain it. Okay, so here's the first truth. Number one. We must deepen our faith between the mountaintop experiences of life. We must deepen our faith between the mountaintop experiences of life. Now let's back up just a second. Let's see if we can figure out what just happened here, right? So Jesus is going to give them Acts 1-8, the clear command to go and to spread the gospel across the nations. Acts 1-9, he's going to ascend into heaven. Here's the interesting thing about the ascension. You may not have noticed this before, but the ascension specifically is not spoken of a lot in the gospels. So, so in the book of Luke, there's only one verse that talks about the ascension. There's nothing at all in Matthew. There's nothing at all in John. There's a verse in Mark. And there, there are a couple of places where they allude to the idea of the ascension. But the ascension is not anything they spend a lot of time on. And so you've got these followers now that are talking to Jesus. He's kind of sharing with them. He's given them Acts 1-8. And then the Bible says, as they were looking on, he's called up into heaven. And as they're kind of gazing into heaven, these two guys, these two angels appear. And they make this very interesting comment in verse 11. Pull 11 back up if you would for me, please. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven, right? There's kind of this almost rebuke here. Like, hey, guys, back down here, right? Down here? Why, why, are you, why are you staring into heaven? Because the Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Right? So they're saying, listen, guys, don't, don't worry so much about the ascension. Jesus is gone. God's got a plan. He's gone. He's going to be gone for a while. He's going to come back. You can rest assured of that. But listen, guys, while he's gone, you've got real work to do here. 
So, so don't, don't get so caught up in the, you know, wow, amazing, that you forget kind of what's going on here on earth. Right? We, we have this tendency as, as Christians to kind of do this in, in, in maybe a different fashion. Like we, we love debating doctrine and, and talking about things we ought to be doing and we'll sit in classes and Bible studies and, and, and that's good. I and mean, I love debating doctrine. I love talking about it, thinking about it. Doctrine does matter. It is very important that we study the right things. But sometimes, watch this now, we'll get so caught up in debating the, the doctrine of, of this and the doctrine that we forget that the guy next door is lost and going to hell. You ever thought about that? We'll sit in a Sunday school class for hours and talk about this and that and the text and divide it up and and think through it. And all that's good and right and wise. There's there's nothing wrong. But sometimes our gaze is in the wrong place, isn't it? Sometimes we kind of get our head in the clouds and we get distracted and and we forget that there's a, a lost world out here that needs Christ. And regardless of some of the doctrine we want to argue, you know, how how many angels can dance on the head of a pen kind of idea. When we argue that stuff, we we miss the calling. And these guys call these followers back to earth. Hey, why are you staring here gazing into heaven, right? Because there, there are things to be done here. One writer explained it like this. He said, this mild rebuke is expressed in the question, why do you stand looking into heaven? The idea is that they should not be surprised that the risen Jesus is lifted into God's presence. His departure means that they now have work to do. Jesus' command means they are not to gaze into heaven idly awaiting his return. But here it is, engage in the task Jesus has given them to do in the meantime. So Jesus says, listen, we got some things you need to accomplish now. Don't stand here and gaze at all the wrong stuff and miss the reality of the ground. Now, I love these next few verses because I think it just speaks to our heart. Because I just want to kind of clue you in on what's going on here. Make sure you understand kind of where we've been and where we've gone, right? So we've got Acts 1-8, right, which I argued last week was really the thesis of the book of Acts, right? From there, everything else flows. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 1-9 now is the ascension. So, so if we were just preaching the highlights of Acts, we would probably preach Acts 1-8 and Acts 1-9. Those are big deals. In Acts 2, the beginning of Acts 2, which we'll see next week, is what's called Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit falls upon the followers of Christ. And we'll talk about that and kind of what that means. But for, for the end of, basically when Jesus ascends in heaven in Acts 1-9, through the end of the first chapter until we get to Acts 2, there's this kind of strange talk of, of choosing another disciple and what these people are going to be doing, casting lots. And, and, and here's what, what I think we need to understand from this. This is important. Right? Jesus has given us kind of these mountaintop... Go back to that first point if you would for me, please. Jesus has given us kind of these mountaintop experiences in Acts 1-8 and Acts 1-9, right? The ascension, the call to the nations. He's given us kind of this mountaintop experience in Acts chapter 2 that follows in Pentecost. But everything that remains in Acts chapter 1 is kind of ho-hum to us. Like You probably wouldn't preach a Bible study on casting lots to choose Matthias to replace Judas. That's probably not the title of a Bible study. We, we may mention it and, and kind of pass right through it. But, but here's what I want us to get. I think this is important. We're given these mountaintop experiences. Acts 1-8, Acts 1-9, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, Pentecost. But in the middle of the valley, the kind of ho-hum is where far too many of us live on a regular basis, isn't it? Because let me, let me just explain this here. I want you to think through this with me just for a second. We've all had mountaintop experiences. In fact, if I were to go around this congregation this morning and ask you about kind of mountaintop experiences of faith, I bet every one of us could list some things the Lord has done in the past. Pretty incredible things. 
But I, I can still remember to this day when I was in college. You know, when you, when you kind of get later into high school and early part of college, you go through that kind of crisis of faith, right? We've all kind of experienced that where you take what your parents believed and what your parents taught you. Students, you're going to get there, so you need to kind of be prepared for this. Parents, you need to be prepared for this. That later high school, early college is when you kind of take the faith that your parents taught you and you make it your own. And for a lot of uh, younger people, sometimes there's a crisis during that time. There's a crisis of faith because you're not quite sure and you want it to be your own. You don't want to believe it because mama said it or daddy said it. You need more than that. So there's this kind of crisis of faith. And I went through one of those like so many other people did. And, and I can remember to this day, all those years ago, sitting on my bed doing a Bible study late at night with my Bible and the Lord just revealing to me very clearly something he needed me to see. Just real clear. I mean, I see it crystal clear. I still see myself sitting on the bed in my Bible. I remember the Bible I had. I remember what I was doing, what I was reading. It was a faith marker for me, right? It was a moment, kind of a spiritual high for me, a mountaintop. You guys could all probably give me stories very similar to that. There have been moments in your life that are mountaintop, amazing experiences. Here's the problem. We don't live on the mountaintops. And so what happens for a lot of us is we have these mountaintop experiences and we kind of expect life to always be like that. And when we come down off the mountain and it's kind of mundane and dull again, we wonder what's wrong with us. I can remember going to camp when I was a kid. And I would do the, the summer camp, the youth camp, or the conference, or whatever when I was in high school or college. And you kind of get this incredible experience, right? This euphoria, this spiritual high, and this excitement, and you're, you're kind of on fire for the Lord. And then a week after you get back, you're a little less excited. And then two weeks, you're a little less. And three or four weeks, you're kind of back where you started. Why? Because we don't live on the mountaintops. We, we don't live on the mountaintops. But here, here's the beautiful part about the valley, right? We're not always living in times of ascension and Christ teaching Acts 1-8 and times where the Holy Spirit falls and on tongues and, and the fire and all kind of crazy things happen. We oftentimes live in this valley. And so I think we, we ought to kind of ask ourselves the question, of what are we doing on a day-to-day -day basis in relation to our spiritual walk when we're not necessarily on the mountaintops? Because you, you, you've heard the analogy before, but it's in the valley oftentimes where people grow. It's in the valley and, and the difficult times where the Lord kind of shapes us and molds us. And I had a conversation this week with somebody about kind of living in the valley and how oftentimes the, the valley experience to us may seem kind of dull and ordinary and boring because you just kind of do the same thing. Maybe you feel like your spiritual life is a little dry. Maybe you've experienced that. It's not quite where it used to be because you're looking back at that mountaintop you used to have and you kind of wonder what you ought to be doing in the valley. I firmly believe, and I think the scripture backs this up, that it's in those moments of, of waiting and anticipation that the Lord is preparing our hearts for the next thing. Like I would say to you, if you're kind of in a, in a moment of maybe living in the valley or, or the dryness or you kind of long for that spiritual peak again that maybe you were on at some point in the past or you hope to get it again and you're maybe a little disappointed because your walk isn't where it ought to be, I would say to you, in these moments, allow the Lord to prepare your heart for what He has next. Because you're not just idly walking through a valley. Right, right. These disciples had just experienced, I mean, you know, if you could, uh, Gracie is writing a paper for one of her classes this week, and the, the, the assignment is you pick any moment in history and write about it. You could go back to any moment in history and see it, what would it be? I'm going to tell you, if I could go to any moment in history, it'd be one of these moments. 
Like I'd either want to see the crucifixion or the resurrection or the ascension, kind of the, the, the mountaintop peak stuff, right? I wouldn't probably choose what was next because for these disciples, they'd come off this incredible mountaintop and they had kind of every opportunity and, and maybe some of us would say even every right to kind of scatter, right? Jesus is gone. He's done incredible things. That was a mountaintop experience for us, but it's over now. Back to the fisherman life. Back to the tax collector. They could have, they could have gone in their own separate ways. They could have done their own separate things. But I think there's a lesson here, and this is where I'm going with this. I think there's a lesson for us about deepening our faith between the mountaintop experiences. What are we doing right now? Like you need to be asking yourself the question, in the mundane Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. kind of stuff, what am I doing to deepen my faith in Christ? What does the day-to-day look like for me? Because the vast majority of our spiritual walk will be the mundane day-to-day experience. What are you doing? Let's see what they do. Look at verse 12. Pull it up on the screen for me. So they, these are the apostles, they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet or the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away, which is Sabbath day journey is about three quarters of a mile. They were limited by the Jewish law how far they could walk. So they take about three quarters of a mile walk back, not very far at all. When they had entered, they went to the upper room. Now scholars debate, was this the upper room that Jesus gave his last supper in? And, you know, we talked about the Lord's Supper a few weeks ago. That was all in the upper room. It could have been the same upper room. It could have been a different room uh, where they were staying. And then Peter and John and James and Andrew, and these are the disciples, the twelve or the eleven at this point, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. Verse 14, this is important. This is kind of foundational for the next little idea here. All these, right, all the followers were one, with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So just track along with me now. If we're thinking about the valleys and not necessarily living on the mountaintops, but the mundane day-to-day life, what are we doing day-to-day in the mundane, ordinary moments of our lives to prepare ourselves for the next thing Christ has us to do? Here's the second truth. Number two. In those moments, we must devote ourselves to prayer and community. We need to devote ourselves to prayer and community. Now, I want to talk for just a minute again about verse 14. So, write that point down and let's pull back up verse 14, if you would, for me, please. I want you to listen to what verse 14 says. All these with, what's the statement there? All, try it again. All these with, what's the statement? One accord. There's the sense of unity, there's the sense of oneness, there's the sense of, of, of fellowship, being together, lifting one up. Let, let me tell you what the, what the average person does is they begin to kind of uh, step away from their faith, or you could use the word backslide, or what, as they kind of move away from God's will for the lot of their life, one of the first things they do is they quit fellowshipping and hanging around other believers. Did you know that? Maybe church attendance drops or they drop out of their small group or the accountability group they used to have. They don't go as often as they used to. Why? They're kind of separating themselves from the community of faith. They're separating themselves from fellowship. What they're really doing now, and this is kind of hard to hear sometimes, what they're really doing is they're separating themselves from accountability. That's basically what happens. I think we've kind of fallen into this trap maybe in, in Western Christianity that, that, that my beliefs and my Christian faith is kind of like this individual sport. 
Like I accept Christ, I'm going to go in my prayer closet, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to grow, I, you know, it's kind of this, I'm going to isolate myself, all I need is my Bible and I'm going to be fine. And I would agree, you need your Bible and there should be times of prayer. But we are called in our Christianity to be together with other believers. Did you know that? In community, in fellowship. Why is that important? So people can kind of hold you accountable. That's the point. Not easy. Not always fun. Men, you ought to have some other men in your life that, that love you enough to tell you the truth. You ought to. You ought to have two or three guys in your life. You can tell them the truth and they can tell you the truth and you're completely honest with each other. Why? Because somebody needs to hold you accountable. There needs to be people that, that rein you in. You, you need to be in one accord and in community with other believers. Because what we, what we tend to do is... As we step away from the Lord, we begin, we begin to step away from community. We begin to step away from other believers. We begin to step away from the important things that Christ calls us to be a part of. John Calvin, the, the famous reformer, talking about this verse in, in this section in Acts chapter 1, speaking of the, the followers, he says, two essentials for true prayer, right? Because these people are spending a lot of time praying. We're going to get to that in just a second. Namely, that they persevered, right? They were together and were of one mind. There's this idea in the, in the early church that these believers, kind of when the going got tough, they decided they're just kind of, kind of come together and they're going to spend time praying in community, in unity together. And I just started asking myself the question, does the modern church look like this? I don't know sometimes. Like, I think that's probably a real good discussion to have. I think there are pockets of it. I think sometimes we're unified together and I think sometimes we're in community and I think sometimes we're devoted to prayer and I think there are a lot of times that we're not. I think sometimes we can kind of put on airs, you know, or, or maybe we put on a mask or we can kind of pretend. Maybe we're part of a small group or a Sunday school but we never really let down our defenses or our guards. You know, you ever felt like that? Like, I just don't think I can really be honest with these people in this room. I mean, I do like them a lot, but I don't think I can open up and I don't feel like I can devote myself to this group and to this community and this fellowship and, and spend time in prayer. I just don't feel like that. We, we just, we, we, we pull away from that sometimes. And we just wonder why we're not having those mountaintop experiences, right? These disciples, when they're kind of in the middle of these incredible moments, and they didn't quite know when Acts 2 was going to happen. They didn't know when Pentecost was coming. They just come down literally off the mountain, the Mount of Olives, all that Christ had done there. They're walking in now the valley. They're kind of in the mundane. We're back to the north. Jesus is gone. What now? Well, let's just go our separate ways. Let's just spread out and go do our own. No, no, no. Let's not do Let's Instead, let's kind of double down on the idea of community. Let's double down on the idea of prayer. One of the themes we see throughout the book of Acts is spiritual unity and prayer. I mean, we just see it over and over. And I don't have time this morning to read all. I just want to give you just a few examples because I, I don't ever want to tell you something's there and not really kind of prove it to you biblically. There are all sorts of examples and acts of this idea of togetherness and community. Don't, don't flip unless you're pretty quick. I just want to read them to you. Okay, Acts chapter 2 verse 46. And day by day according, uh, excuse me, day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Like we get to the end of Acts chapter 2, the, the, the new church is going to form and they're going to spend time together. 
They're going to spend time together in the prayer, uh, in the temple, breaking of bread, fellowshipping, kind of that oneness, that community, that, that togetherness. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. Acts chapter 8, verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said. Acts chapter 15, verse 25. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men, to send them to our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Over and over and over, we get the sense of unity and oneness one accord and fellowship. And so let me, just, let me just speak directly into your hearts right now. If you're not involved in some sort of a small group, accountability group, Sunday school, Bible study, you're not fulfilling your call as a believer. Amen. I hope I didn't hurt your feelings. I just think it's too big of a deal just to skim over it. I think for far too many believers, we think it's okay just to do kind of the minimal stuff and we're not interested in community. And I just don't think that's what Scripture teaches and I just really think you're, you're missing... I mean, honestly, it's not easy. It's not always fun sometimes to be called out and to have to answer some difficult questions. But it is what Christ calls us to do. And it is what He calls us to believe. You know, we see this idea of unity and we see this idea of prayer. You know, they, they were devoted to, to each other in prayer and community. We're going to see that again in Acts 2 with the church and really all through the book of Acts, all through the New Testament. The, the, the amazing thing about prayer, when, when you start thinking about prayer and teaching on prayer, is that I bet nobody in here would deny the importance of prayer. I mean, at least not out loud at church, right? Nobody would say, nah, you know, I just don't think prayer is all that important. We would say, yeah, yeah, we need to be praying. It's not ever about convincing church members that prayer is important. It's about convincing church members to actually pray, right? That's the difference. Because I, I know we could all tell stories about how the Lord has done great things in our heart and, and how we've prayed at times and how He's answered our prayer. And yet we, we get off the mountaintops or we get kind of into the mundane, the day-to-day, and we forget about it, right? We, we, we set aside the idea of fellowship and community oftentimes. We set aside the idea of prayer. And yet Christ teaches and Paul teaches and Peter talks about and over and over in the Scriptures we see the idea of prayer. You know, one, one of the things we have started doing here on a pretty regular basis is kind of the night of prayer, right? Where we have uh, an opportunity on a Sunday night about once a quarter, once every two or three months, where we open up the worship center and like from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. we just play some soft music. We do a little prayer guide for you and you can kind of come in and pray as long as you want and leave. Uh, there's, there's no agenda. You don't have to you come in in silence, pray and leave when you want to. Right? And you would think now that we would, we would fill up a church building with nights of prayer, but we rarely do. Now, I'm not saying you can't pray other places, and I'm, 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 trying, I'm not trying to guilt you into doing this. I'm just saying we, we ought to kind of have this mindset that when we have the chance to be of one accord in unity together in prayer, we should take advantage of it. Because I'm telling you, we're, we're going to get to heaven. I'm just telling you, this is Adam's opinion. I think I can back it up in the Bible, but it's Adam's opinion. I think we're going to get to heaven and be amazed at what we missed because we didn't spend time in prayer. I think we're going to go, Really? We could have accomplished that if we'd have just spent more time in prayer. I mean, that, that ought to drive us to our knees. Or for, forgive me for, for never thinking or for not believing or for not trusting enough that prayer really does work. I, I want this church, I want the people of this church to be characterized by this idea of unity and devotion to prayer and devotion to one another in one mind and in one accord. Why? Because the world doesn't want us to succeed. The enemy does not want us to succeed. We, we ought to be doing everything within our power 
to figure out what the Lord has called us to do and then just do it. Regardless of what it takes. But if we're not careful, we get so busy in the valley looking back at the last spiritual marker while we're gazing into heaven, right? Or we're hoping for the next one. We gaze into heaven, the, the, the angels need to say, hey, 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 quit looking where you used to be or where you're going and worry about now. I got plans for you today. Now let's continue, verse 15. So in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120, which is fascinating to me. Maybe a whole sermon. Jesus Christ comes to earth, walks on water, raises the dead. 120 people believe. This is fascinating. It's a whole, that's a whole other discussion. So there are 120 believers. Verse 16. Brothers, this is Peter talking. This is the, 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 Peter's going to begin to take a, a much more of a leadership role here. He's speaking now. He stands up among the brothers. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit when he spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Remember, Judas is going to uh, lie. He's going to cheat. He's going to take... Some money, and he's going to turn Jesus in. We kind of remember that story. Verse 17. For he was numbered among us. He's speaking out of Judas, who was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And if you don't think Scripture is, you know, interesting and sometimes graphic and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language Akladamah, that is the field of blood. Verse 20. For it's written in the book of Psalms. Now he's going to quote now from the Psalms. May his camp become desolate. He's referring to Judas. Let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord went in and out among us beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward, remember Jesus has already challenged them in eight. become witnesses Peter remembers that idea of becoming a witness. Now we need a one is gone, we've got 11 instead of 12, we need to fill that office and they put forward to Joseph called Barsabas who is also called Justice and Matthias verse 24 and they prayed and said, you Lord who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place and they cast lots for them and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Right. So as we walk through valleys, as we walk in the mundane, as we come down off the mountaintops before we get to the other, we're devoted to community and fellowship. We're devoted to prayer. And then number three, we must follow the word of God and trust the Lord with everything. If you're kind of in the mundane right now, which is where the vast majority of believers live, the Word of God should be your guide. Right? You shouldn't just wait until you get to the mountaintop to pull it out and read it again. And some of us have been there. You get this euphoria and this excitement and the Lord's done something pretty incredible and for two weeks you get up every morning to read your Bible and then the third week you read it three times that week and then the fourth week you read it once and then after the fifth week you just don't read it anymore. This needs to be foundational for us. Peter says, listen guys, we've we got to do this so that the scriptures will be fulfilled. 
Right, because David spoke about Judas. David said somebody needs to replace him. We've got to follow, guys, this is Peter talking. We've got to follow the will of the Lord. We've got to follow the scripture. We've got to trust the word of God and trust the Lord in everything. We've got to live by this. We've got to die by this. We've got to make decisions based on this. How many of you knew there's an eclipse tomorrow? Three of you, really? I'm hoping by the laughter you all knew, right? It's coming. If, if, if you, unless you've been in a hole for six weeks, you know there's an eclipse. And by this point, you can probably tell me when it's going to happen and the states it's going to hit and you know all the kind of exciting stuff. And, and I, I, I love eclipses. I mean, they're cool. I remember we had a, a kind of a, a I don't know if it was a full one or half or whatever when I was like in fourth or fifth grade years ago. Hadn't had one since in this part of the country. So I'm excited about it. Here, here's the neat thing about the eclipse. We've probably all on some level made some sort of a plan to look at it. You probably ain't taking the day off work, I don't think, but, but maybe if you're a, a student and, and I know, you know, with the school, I know y'all are going to be in class, but maybe parents are going to get you out of class. Maybe you've made that plan. If you're a business person, maybe you've made plans to walk outside, you know, five minutes before and look at... How many of you bought glasses? Seriously, how many of you purchased glasses? That is three people. Okay. Well, I bought 800 pairs, so I'll be happy to... I didn't. I, just, I did bought, I bought six. From my, we, we've made plans, right? You're going to go look at it. We, we know what's coming out. Now watch this. Here's where I'm going with this. How many of us uh, believe or would maybe say, I'm not quite certain the eclipse is going to happen more. I'm just a little skeptical. I just don't. I'm not quite convinced. I just have to see it for myself. Anybody think that? A couple people? Three of you? This is three people. It's kind of the trend. Kind of like the trinity, I guess. <laughs> Most of us kind of think it's going to happen, right? Why do we think it's going to happen? Because they've been talking about it for six weeks. We've been seeing it and read about it. And how many of us, though, have actually done the actual research and calculated mathematically to see if it's really going to happen? Anybody? One? She's just kidding. Math teacher, she's just kidding. We, we hadn't done that math, have we? We, just, we believe what somebody... We believe the, uh, the newspaper or the intranet because that's always true. And if it's on Facebook, then it's straight from heaven, right? We know that, right? The Lord has ordained it to be true. We, we believe these things without really exploring it ourselves, don't we? So we've bought glasses. We've made plans to check our kids out of school. We're going to step outside at 2 o'clock tomorrow. We're going to watch the eclipse. Why? Because we just believe it's going to happen. I, I think that's great. I'm, I'm not an eclipse denier. I think it's going to happen too. But I just wonder how many of us would do the same thing with, with the Scripture. I mean, the, the God that created the sun and the moon. Did you know he set the planets and the stars in motion before the foundation of the earth? Did you know that? That was his plan. He knew this eclipse was going to happen before he created time. Did you know that? Did you know that a solar eclipse doesn't happen on any other planet in our solar system? Did you know that? You know why? Because the, 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 what, the size of the moon and the size of the sun in our vision, and our perspective, are the same exact size. Did you know that? The moon is about 400 times smaller than the sun. The sun is about 400 times farther away than the moon. So they look exactly the same size. So there's a moment where the moon crosses over the sun and completely covers the sun. Did you know that to happen with any other planet in our solar system? Did you know that the, the God that created the universe set that up for our enjoyment? Did you know that? This is, this is the creator of all things. He, he's given us a guide. And yet how many of us are making plans and decisions for tomorrow based on God's word? We'll buy a set of glasses and we'll check our kids out of school, which again is fine. I think it's good. But have we thought about how the Word of God is going to impact our life tomorrow at 2 p.m.? Or the next day? Or the next day?
God says, listen, guys, it's, it's not rocket science here. I've given you this word. I've given you this calling. I've given you this, this map. I've kind of shown you how to do it. If you'll, if you'll spend time kind of trusting me and following me, fellowshipping with believers, studying my word, praying, trusting me. If you'll just do those things. It's not rocket science. If you'll just do these things, I'll take an ordinary person that doesn't think the Lord can do anything through them and I'll turn them into an extraordinary follower of Christ to do amazing things for the kingdom. That's who Jesus wants to be. Jesus says, I've just got a plan for you. If you'll just be willing to follow, you'll be amazed at what you can accomplish. Let's pray together. Father, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You have ordained all things before the foundations of the earth. Father, you knew our names our families, our lives, our jobs, our stories, the eclipse. Father, you knew it all. And you've given us a guide in your word to help us live and understand day to day, the mundane, the week by week, between the mountaintop experiences, how to live. It's a guide for us, Father. Help us to use it. Allow us to see maybe as as we walk through kind of the valley. And it may not be bad, Father. It may be good. But as we walk between kind of these faith experiences to understand that you are preparing us you're using these moments to strengthen us to encourage us father just do great things in our midst may may we seek you and trust you may we make plans based on your word and your truth may we follow you in all things and when we do that father we beg you lord to take ordinary sinful people through the power and salvation of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit working in our lives, make us extraordinary for the sake of your kingdom. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand. The altar is open. Chance for you to respond. You come speak to me. You can come pray. But this is your chance to respond as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.